Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. This is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. I'm your host, Alex Grodnick. Today, we are speaking with our first female guest. She's got a great story about persistence and determination. Mags is a fantastic role model for everyone aspiring to break in. Without further ado, let's hear what she did. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Let's just start uh, at the very beginning. After college, you know, you went to college, thought you'd work in finance. How'd, uh, how'd you find your way? Um, yeah, so I definitely don't have a traditional story. I am a state school kid that somehow figured out how to break into the finance industry. I had every variable stacked against me. I did not have a pedigree. I do not come from a family that had significant means or even above moderate means by any in any way. And I was an older student. I was a single mom. I realized that I wanted to go back to school when I had my son. I was a failed entrepreneur. I had, um, up until then, I'd opened a couple of fast casual uh, Mexican restaurants that did pretty well for a year. And then, you know, there's a mis- lack of management and knowledge by a young 20 year old can really crater a business quickly. So I learned a lot of lessons and that was what motivated me to go back to school. And I think that's also what's always been my biggest differentiator is that I went back to school for myself and I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I knew that I wanted to learn the ins and outs of businesses because I wanted to be an amazing entrepreneur. So that was the initial goal. And when I went to college, uh, I I was studying with my son, working and just really hustling super hard to make everything happen and pay all the bills keep food on the table. And I was always worried about where I would be five years from now. I didn't worry about next month's rent, even though I also had to worry about that. I was more worried about where am I going to be five years from now? How am I going to give my son the right future? How am I going to give him a good, uh, stable foundation so that he doesn't have to hopefully go through as much of a slog? And I didn't want to get stuck in that um, thinking of, you know, just taking a job that pays the bills for now. And, 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 you know, even, even if it was a little bit better than average, that's still not enough because you're just not gonna, you're going to be working for paycheck to paycheck for the rest of your life. If, if that's the approach you want to take. And so I didn't want to get stuck in that. And I saw, and when I was going to through school, um, I started my upper tier classes uh, right after the financial crisis. And so 
um, I was even more clueless as to where I could potentially find a home. And I had a lot of challenges because um, I wasn't a, like I said, I didn't have the standard resume or profile. I wasn't a very young undergrad that was completely green behind the ears and, and you know, could be bossed around by the major banks, which, you know, by the way, that's one of the reasons, you know, we like the younger players, the younger kids is because, you know, it's much more easy to mold them. Um, But for, so for me, I kept finding, you know, challenges because I'd look at these programs, great programs, like finance rotation programs at major organizations and, you know, and I had invites, but it just, none of it felt right. And I ended up taking, I think it was like the first stock class or whatever you're supposed to take in your finance degree. And I just really loved it. And I thought, you know, this is this market. Everybody says it's just numbers. But for me, it just came alive. And when I look at, you know, stocks tickers, I look at the people that are working for the organization. I look at the strategy. I look at the structure. I look at the marketing initiatives. I think about everything that is going into that number in a different way. Um, And so I kind of was trying to figure out whether the right path for me was at a derivatives desk. I really enjoyed doing more complex modeling. I took a derivatives class. My professor really pushed me into looking at more of the exotic desks. Um, And he kind of was the one that got me started on my path in all honesty, because before then I was pretty resigned to just looking at being, you know, trying to break in as a financial analyst at some corporation near my city. And uh, then it started off as a bet with my study group. They, you know, it was, oh, well, you would never get a job in New York anyways. And I said, oh, really? And uh, so that's kind of how that started. And I decided that I was just going to try to get as many interviews as possible. And I wanted to see how far I could go. And so that started off a little adventure and I ended up in New York in the spring of my senior year interviewing with a whole bunch of banks that I had no business doing, but I convinced uh, recruiters to get me in the door. And so I learned a lot. I mean, I even interviewed for like a second year analyst position. I mean, it was, it was madness, but I just wanted to see how far it could go. And, and one of the ways that I went about it was I did end up getting a internship, my junior to senior year at a local M&A advisory place. And, you know, it's a middle market place, a good place to start and grow. And I was representing them at this at a national conference. And I was offered to come into a private party for um, a group that was based out of New York. And it's like within the conference. So they were hosting like a cocktail hour. And so I went over there and um, basically snuck in. I was wearing business clothes. The lady at the front stopped me and asked me for my business card. And I told her that I had run out of business cards because I was so new. Of course, I didn't have any business cards. (laughs) She looks me up and down and she goes, all right. I'll let you in this time. And so through that, I walked in and this is a group that is, um, they basically do these conference, national conferences for the middle market. And I was exposed in one setting, all of these like CEOs, investment managers, um, deal team leads, the valuation firms, legal, like everyone came together. And so in one evening, I got more exposure to like understanding all sides of kind of 
what happens in an organization when a transaction gets completed than I had, you know, in the four years at school. And so that kind of got me thinking. And from that conference that I crashed, I was invited to attend another conference. It was a distressed investing in conference in Chicago. And I, I actually was finished with my finals early. I had some airline miles and I thought, you know what, let me just go. And so I jumped up on a flight and booked a hotel room, crashed this other conference, basically. Um, although I was invited for the daytime portion at that point. And that was where I saw um, I won't forget if she was the head of fixed income of Goldman Sachs. And she was talking about, they were talking about challenges in today's environment because there was, you know, obviously it's right after the recession. This is about 2010, 2011. And she starts talking about how difficult it is to fundraise. And I thought, huh, what is she talking about? And she goes, and she starts talking about the fundraising environment and how you need to create um, a process within the organization and that, you know, things are changing in, in, in finance where it used to be a phone call between two, you know, two people that knew each other really well and had worked together previously. Um, that was, that would be kind of how groups would start to get seed capital when they did a spin out, for example, or, um, you know, people, it's all very relationship based and it used to be very much closed door, hush, hush. Um, whereas the financial crisis kind of, in my opinion, launched this whole IR route that was in private equity that did not exist previously. And so it was from that conversation, I went up to her and, and introduced myself to her. And I definitely didn't have the pedigree to go to Goldman. I had a transcript that was a wreck because I had to stop and start several times while I got myself through school and paid bills and took care of my son. I mean, it was not easy. So I knew immediately that I wasn't the right candidate. But again, the competition, the competitiveness in me was, well, I made a promise that I was going to see how many interviews I could get. And I wanted to figure out how far I could go. And it was through that like little asinine exercise that I really realized that at the end of the day, it's people hiring people and you can really go wherever you want to go. You just have to figure out the path for yourself. And so from there, after I kind of interviewed with a lot of groups, I stuck with the M&A advisory group that I was, had been with during my senior year. And I stayed with them for a few months and I got a call from the conference organizers that I had crashed their conferences previously, offering me a position for business development and coordination between um, uh, like VIP guests. And I thought, you know what? This sucks sitting as an analyst. I do not want to wait 10 years for the opportunity to talk to clients the marketing people have way more fun and I'm going to try this. And everyone told me I was completely nuts and that I was crazy and that I would never get back into a, a proper finance position. And I thought, you know what, this is, it, that's fine. I'm fine with that risk. And so I moved to New York and I took that position um, on a big leap of faith. And through that work that I did in organizing conferences, I learned how to speak to, you know, C-level executives. I learned how to, how to speak to the CEOs, the CIOs. What is interesting to them? How am I going to get their attention? What's going to motivate them to come and speak on a panel with three other people and possibly a competitor? Um, so, you know, and it was very challenging managing certain personalities and um, keeping people engaged and 
than just doing the logistical nightmare that is of doing this type of work. Um, but it was a it was a very solid training ground for me in learning how to approach these individuals. Story is incredible. I can't. I mean, most people that I assume a lot of people that listen to this podcast are you know having a tough time just sending a cold email to someone. Meanwhile, you put yourself back through school. You have a kid. You're out there crashing conferences, breaking down doors. What is it inside of you that that gives you that drive? That's incredible. Uh, fear of failure, <laughs> not being able to provide. Uh, that that was really it. And um, the funniest part is that when I w- went to work at that conference um, shop in New York, a year later, I am am putting on an event with an, with the same group that hosted that initial conference that I crashed, and I'm standing there, and the woman that I initially like skirted by. Um, is is working the registration desk with me. And I go, hey, you know, by the way, do you remember when you were in, you know, Southern California last year and, you know, you're you're hosting this after party and I came in and, you know, someone didn't have a business card. And she goes, she looks at me and she goes, that was you? I remember you. I never let anyone for free. And I looked at her and I started laughing. And today, like we're, you know, we're very good. Uh, we were very good colleagues. And so it's incredibly funny how life happens. And you just, I think at the end of the day, you can't be afraid of failure. You can't be afraid of humiliation. You can't be afraid of rejection. And that does lend itself really well for my current position, which is I raise money for a private equity fund. And, um, you know, I get told no a lot. (laughs) I get told, um, I get told, you know, don't call me except for once a month or once a quarter. And then, you know, but at the same time, I also meet incredible people. And I get to hear all of their stories and how they came into their wealth and, you know, how they're managing their wealth. And then, you know, at the institutional level, you get to meet an incredible cast of characters that are just such hard workers and diligent and focused on doing the best job they can. Um, But all of this training ground and bouncing around and, and doing the cold calls for deal sourcing and not being afraid of being hung up on and told no. I think that's the strongest thing that you can do for yourself, no matter what you're going to undertake. Absolutely. And I do think there is something to be said for, you know, kind of having your back up against the wall as, as you're kind of describing that you did. Yeah. I mean, I never would have like gone hungry. I could have always gotten some other type of position um, to be fully, you know, fair and honest. Like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't disadvantaged, poverty stricken or anything like that. Um, luckily. So I, I already had a leg up in that sense compared to a lot of uh, single parents out there. Well, sure. um, but I took every single amount of leverage that I had and I squeezed it dry. <laughs> That's basically what I did. Yeah. So is, you know, being that you are our first female guest, I kind of want to talk about that. Is there leverage in being, you know, a female? I mean, you're in a male dominated space. There's probably many advantages and disadvantages. What are some of the advantages? Yeah, so the advantages are, um, put it this way, you're much more likely, I'm much more easily able to approach um, an older male and say, I want to have a conversation and having them being open and receptive to it than I think a 22, regular 22-year-old 
college kid right. or boy. There's um, you you stand out. There's there's something there's something different to you. I mean, and plus you were runner up Miss Iceland, so you're obviously very beautiful. So you you're distinct. You stand out in a crowd filled with a lot of males asking for money. Yeah, but I think it's also. I mean, you can use your presence, but there's also a difference between using your presence. And so, um, I'm very, very uh, careful in how I present myself. I am very careful in um, not using anything to in a way that is um, not kosher. I guess what I'm trying to say is like I don't think you know it's okay to use looks and flirt and, you know, try to do any, any activity like that is abhorrent in my opinion. Um, that being said, you know, like one of the challenges I, I had faced, especially when I was younger was, you know, when you are doing business with people and someone says, Hey, let's grab a drink together and talk about it. Um, that can mean a very different thing for a woman. And so that's really, that's one of the things that's very frustrating is, you know, you have to then go back and just make sure that this person is truly interested in grabbing a networking business drink versus, um, you know, trying to flirt. Right. And that must be so tricky to balance. It can because, A, you're presumptuous if you assume that that's what the person is after because, I mean, that's that's a pretty egotistical thing to do. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, I have been in that position several times, even though I've tried to be careful. Um, I've had it happen to me, you know, I can recall like four specific instances and, you know, one time and, and you know what, it hurts, it hurts women and it hurts men too. It's not fair. And like one time I, um, this person did an intro for me to someone that is a placement agent and that person was working really long hours. And so I was at a conference. And so the first opening that day was at like 9 PM. Fine. We were in New York. So let's go grab a cocktail 9 PM. It's like, you're just getting started for the evening. You know, you're about to grab dinner. And, um, the person that set it up told the other per told the guy that I was meeting that I was interested in him as like a person. And then she told me that I was, um, it, and that she told me that he was interested in speaking to me about my work and whether like it could be a good fit for my, what my fund was at the time for the placement agent. And so I show up and he shows up and five minutes in, we both look at each other and we're like, wow, we just got played. <laughs> Like, you know, I mean, it's just, it's madness. And we ended up becoming friends afterwards. So it was fine. But, um, and I did not work, end up working with this group for the raise, but, you know, it's just crazy stories. And I know of like women that have gone to conferences and, you know, there's literally like men knocking on their hotel room door, trying to talk to them because, you know, just it's, it's, uh, I don't know why, but it happens. And I've had comments made to me, you know, um, one comment that still sticks out is how there was this, uh, like cocktail party after the, after a certain event and it happened to be poolside and they come up to me and literally come up to me at an event and say, well, are you going to go to the cocktail party? And I'm like, well, yes. And they're like, oh, so are you going to be changing into a bikini beforehand? And I'm like, thank you very much for making me feel comfortable at work. I appreciate that. Have a good day. And so what I think is important to relay is that when 
And this is not just like male, female. This is in any situation. When somebody says something inappropriate to you, for example, also I get asked a lot like, oh, so, uh, you know, I read in your bio, you, you know, you have a kid. And so who's watching your kid? And it's like, who's, do you have children? They're like, yeah. I'm like, who's watching your kids? And they get shocked. And I'm like, is that not your responsibility too? And it just blows my mind, some of the things that are said. And I've been told things such as, you know, um, oh, you're going to love this work and you'll, you're going to quit within a year or two because you'll meet your future husband and he'll take care of you and you won't need to work anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's just on and on and on. There's a lot of comments. And I think for me, I think it's hysterical for the most part, because I just don't care. And having been a single mom and gone through so many other obstacles at this point, like I just don't care. And so I will correct someone if I feel uncomfortable in the moment and then I move on. But you just have to, I think it's all about boundaries at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you can laugh at it and just continue to to push forward because that's, that's what's important. So I'm glad you look at it that way. Let's talk about, you know, uh, you work in private equity now, but, you know, you got into that kind of from hustling your way through the conference business, marketing, you know, so that it kind of lends itself that there's many different avenues to get into finance. Is that kind of how you view it? Yeah. So, I mean, I was working as an analyst initially and I just saw, and it was through like all my crash um, conference crashing. And I just was obsessed. I talked to a lot of people with different paths. And so I remember um, being really surprised at how unhappy a lot of people were. And I just thought, wow, people work so hard to get into this industry. And you know, there, there is no like elixir to happiness. There is no magical path. And I think that's something that we have to remind ourselves is that at the end of the day, anything that you're going to take on any project, any work, any career, anything that's worth it, it's going to be a slog and it's going to be really hard. So you have to really uh, want to do what you're doing every day. You have to believe in it. If you're selling a product that you have no faith in, you're not going to do well. You're not going to be motivated. You're not going to be engaged. You're not going to care. You're not going to get up to take a 5 a.m., you know, 6 a.m. flight to go on a four-city roadshow and then go to additional events in the evenings and host dinners and then go home back to your room and do your follow-ups and do your, you know, all of your correspondence and catching up for whatever you miss from during the day. You're not going to keep up with that pace if you don't love it. That's the bottom line. No matter, and like, that's a lot of my job, but same with like, um, you know, and, and private equity, like deal team. I mean, you're up and you're doing, you're going on, especially if you work in the middle market, you're going to a lot of like the Midwestern States and, you know, rural communities and looking at businesses, for example. And, you know, it's a slog unless you really love it. You're not going to last. Right. So you're saying you have to love what you do, but I would say most people probably don't love what they do. You didn't love working in that middle market M&A shop. And so you hustled your way and made it happen to find something that you do love. So I guess what you're saying here is that just go make it happen. Go find um, something that you really enjoy and can sink your teeth into. Yeah. And I mean, and like I was kind of referring earlier, so I go to go back to the conversations that I was having as I was graduating, I just, I I left really um, surprised at how many people were spending, you know, 10 years just for the chance at, you know, becoming an MD 
or, you know, eventually partner if you go to a, a, a private equity shop, for example. And that's what made me realize that I did not want to spend the next 10 years in front of Excel, hoping to be picked for the opportunity to go out and do business development and work with the clients and, and pitch business. And so I figured out from my path was within marketing because I already had, you know, I'm, I'm pretty social. I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. And I just kind of started looking at what else can I do here in finance? It's not just banking and trading. There's so many aspects of the deal and you can truly find, um, enjoyment and, um, take interest in what you're, what you're doing in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be just deal team or banking or trading. And one of the things I also did look at was um, institutional sales uh, for some of the bulge brackets. And I was really heavily advised against it because they, you know, there's, it's, it's a hard exit from there to go anywhere else. And so um, I kind of wish I, when I look back, I, you know, I think that's nonsense. I think you exit whatever you can make, whatever exit you want. It's how you set it up and it's how you approach things. And it's how you, you know, you decide your path forward. No one else. Everything that is, um, important in life, you can, you can go make happen. And it sounds like you've done just that. So tell us a little bit about, a little bit more about what you do now. Yeah. So right now, um, for the last six, almost six years, I've been working in fundraising, in a fundraising capacity. And so I really do, I prefer working with smaller organizations. I'm not keen on big name brand, um, firms or big bureaucratic structures. Um, this, my entrepreneurial spirit really lends well for my work and it's, you know, at like a lower middle market PE shop because I have to wear a lot of hats. So I do like, you know, in the process. So one of the things is with, with the deal teams is that you, you guys get hired, you start working on your desk, you start looking at deals and you think, oh, this is a great deal to invest in. Well, you need to think about how, how does the firm get the money to invest in to begin with, Right. And how does, you know, how, how does the lower middle market private equity shop or private credit, you know, like we have a hybrid, um, how do you differentiate yourselves on the market to attract dollars? And so it's really, you know, one, it's, it's a single track to think about only the deal team side, because there are a lot more functions that go into um, producing the transaction. And so on my end, I do marketing, you know, everywhere from lead generation, um, content to mapping out, uh, events in the calendar year. I look at conferences that we should be visible at or supporting. Um, I also do, you know, I'm head of the, the fundraising itself. So I'm coordinating with various placement agents or, you know, maybe a marketing consultant, um, and then, of course, the team and the CFO. I work heavily with senior executives because basically my role is, you know, I'll go in and make the intro and get the meeting. And then I bring in, you know, either the managing partner or lead DLT member and CFO. And that's kind of the way the, the process goes. Um, that being said, my job would be infinitely more difficult if I didn't have the finance background. And, you know, I think 
there's a lot of flack for like the whole hedge fund IR girls, which I can't really speak to too much since I'm not in that aspect of the industry. Um, but I really dislike it because a lot of these girls are extremely sharp. Um, they have MBAs from top schools. They are hustlers. They are working so hard to win business so that people can keep investing. And right. so I think that's what I would like to leave as, you know, that impression is that there are a lot of people working really hard towards the same result, which is to being able to complete transactions, whether you're doing a large buyout deal or multiple trades within a strategy, you know, that capital has to come from somewhere. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And Mags, I'll get you out of here on this. We talk about the importance of building relationships. You know, your, your job is very much client facing and you've said that that's really important to you, but it's, it also sounds like cultivating a network, uh, will be pay dividends for you, you know, down the line as it did for that conference calling you up after you were there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, networking is key because, um, you want to build as much of a safety net as possible. And it's interesting too, after having been working, um, you know, I think lots of people have heard these, probably heard the story, these type of stories, but you know, when you lose your job on the West coast, everyone, you know, everyone's like, Oh, great. You can go take a sabbatical. You lose your job on the East coast. Your inbox is flooded with like job referrals and everyone's extremely concerned and you got to get back on that saddle and keep going and don't, you know, don't stop moving. I saw it happen to like several of my friends. Um, and I was just blown away by the differences in, in culture and mentality, but, um, for, hold on, sorry. Um, but yeah, for, Networking purposes, I I think one of my complaints would be is that you can really tell when someone is there and just passing out cards and collecting cards. And that's not valuable. When you go to an event, do your homework. Look at who is going to be there. Who should you target? Why are you there? Are you there to get 20 cards? Well, I can tell you right now, 20 out of 20 of those cards are going to be useless within a few weeks because you didn't have an, a meaningful conversation. So fo instead, focus on a couple of people, have meaningful conversations that, you know, where you can talk about what they're looking for. Hope, and as a college student, it's more likely that you're going to sit there and pitch them and tell them what you're looking to do in 15 minutes. But always start with, you know, a question about what they're doing. How did they get to where they are? People, one thing I noticed is that people love to talk about themselves. So if you go in and you just ask them for their story, most of the time people will share it. They love to talk about it. Um, and most people are very proud to uh, talk about how they got to where they are. And so when you're at an event, just really look for two to three people that you think could be a meaningful connection and you know, focus on that. Don't do, don't do a blitzkrieg of throwing your cards out. It's just, it's not going to work and it doesn't look good and it doesn't leave a good impression. I couldn't agree then, more. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then another, you know, finally, I would say with the, with the networking, you know, there are people that I met like five, six years ago, I had an investor meeting two days ago and that came about from a meeting I had four years ago. So the, the memory and, and the lifetime of these relationships that develop, it's a very long lifetime. Um, 
When I am marketing to institutions, I know that it's a two to four year path at minimum once I've made that introduction. That's a really long time. And most people that are on Wall Street Oasis are thinking in terms of two and two years. So you have to take that attitude of a really long-term view, getting to know people, building trust, getting to know groups, knowing that they're going to do what they said they're going to do and execute accordingly. That takes time. And so being coming from college, you don't have that same time perspective because everything is right now. You're focused on this semester, this next quarter, this next year, this graduating year, your next internship, your first gig. Everything's in year and like half year increments if you really think about it. And then now you got to make that switch to where am I going to put myself in a position where four years, five years from now, I'm going to win that business. That's a pretty big hurdle, mental hurdle. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mags, this was awesome speaking with you. If you want to leave it, I'll give you the last word, any final thoughts, but otherwise this was really fun talking with you. Thanks for doing this. No, thank you. And my pleasure. And I really hope that um, we have more women speaking up, especially within the higher levels on the investment side. Um, I think, you know, I do want to say that I think the industry is doing a fine job of bringing in entry level um, analysts. There's there's definitely much more gender equality. Um, But, you know, the challenges are, are right now have been retaining women through the ranks. And, you know, I get I will say I, I'm I get lonely at conferences because a lot of the times I'm kind of the only one in my age group. Um, you know, it's either somewhat younger or much older than me. <laughs> so, you know, I, I come speak out and and talk and you know be visible and don't be afraid. And you know, another th- and then finally with Wall Street Oasis, I do want to say uh, Wall Street Oasis was something that gave me a huge leg up. Uh, I had no idea how to approach finance interviews. And so I got the, I think it was like the behavioral guide. And that was, it was great. It just helped me fly through those initial interviews. And then I ended up doing the technical, like purchasing the technical guide and that got me through as well. Um, so, you know, use Wall Street Oasis. And I initially found it through, I was doing a search because we had to do, you know, it was like a whack project or something like that. And I was trying to figure out um, some debt, valuations and Wall Street Oasis gave me the answers. And so when I was in college, I literally would just like, I actually made friends with some guys that were older and already working. And so when I had any uh, questions on like my materials, I used Wall Street Oasis and I got the answers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome and great to hear. Thank you for being here, Mags. This was great. No, great. Thank you for having me. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please let us know what you think. Leave us a comment on iTunes or email me, alex at wallstreetoasis.com. 